Welcome to another episode of Not A UX Designer, a podcast about building better user experiences. On this podcast, I talk about product design and design career topics. I speak with designers around the world to share insights and knowledge that help you kickstart or take your design career to the next level. I'm your host, Farma Henry. Now, before we jump into today's session, if you're getting into UX design or if you are interested in getting more content on product design and design career insights and connecting with like-minded people, head over to our website, dobetterux.com, where you can stay up to date with our online events, links to our design communities, courses on UX design and product design, as well as some of the other exciting stuff that we have prepared for you. So I'm looking forward to interacting with you on our social media channels. And uh, yeah, let's jump into today's session. Now, in this episode, I will be having a chat with Liz, head of design over at DVT. She'll be giving us some insights on what hiring managers are looking for. So sort of like an inside scoop, inside conversation here. Um, what hiring managers are looking for in UX candidates. We'll discuss the do's and the don'ts in UX design portfolios and resumes, as well as some interesting insights around ethical salary practices. This episode is not sponsored by DVT. I hope that you enjoy the discussion. Thank you so much, uh, Liz, for joining me uh, for this uh, episode of uh, Not a UX Designer. Um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been it's been a couple of months now since I had a guest on the on the podcast. Uh, but I thought, you know, with um, the wealth of knowledge that you know you have, I've seen some of the stuff that you share um, quite a bit on you know on the social channels uh, and you know some of the things that you've been involved in, like you know the the conference uh, that uh, that you hosted last year. I don't know when we're having it this year, uh, but yeah, there's uh, some super exciting stuff uh, that, you know, um, that we would like to explore today, mainly from um, a hiring manager position, if I can put it in that way, just to be vague. Uh, but, um, but yeah, um, maybe let's start by you giving us uh, an intro to who is Liz and what do you do? Sure. Thanks so much for having me, um, Rima. It's it's uh, always fun to just chat a bit about you know the the managerial side of the things that we do, and um, yeah, finding the right talent to hire is a big part of my job, and it's it's something that I'm actively learning more about. So very happy to chat about it. Um, so hi everyone. I'm Liz. I'm the head of design at DBT. Um, I've Started in advertising, uh, always been very interested in um, digital applications and, you know, that kind of thing, and then eventually found my way over to UX design. Um, got a bit disillusioned with advertising and wanted to work on things that actually help people to achieve their goals. Um, so even if it's as simple as, you know, like creating a um, flow in a banking app where you're making it easier for people to be able to, you know, send money to their loved ones, mm-hmm. um, making people's lives easier in some way. That's something I'm really passionate about. I'm busy with my PhD at the moment um, in healthcare design, looking at how we can improve environments for um, radiologists in South Africa through uh, human-centered design. 
So yeah, the whole human-centered process, looking at the people we're designing for, it's something that I'm really passionate about and passionate in finding um, in other people so that we can get people that really enjoy that and really care about that into um, the company. That's super awesome. Um, I think there's so much there to unpack, especially from, you know, UX and, you know, human-centered design in healthcare. Um, and I'm super excited to have that conversation with you just from, you know, hearing what you're doing, obviously talking about your PhD or some of the things that you're discovering there uh, as you do your research. Uh, but today, um, I'd like us to focus on um, mainly, you know, from your perspective as a hiring manager. So most of um, the podcast listeners that listen to this uh, podcast are people who are trying to get into UX design or people who are in UX design who are trying to optimize, you know, their chances of getting the jobs and the roles that they want to play. So I wanted to dig into that um, uh, today, today a little bit just by, you know, talking about, you know, some of the um, um, things that I sent you earlier. So around, you know, UX design uh, job roles, you know, how you take a perspective on the, you know, portfolios that people send you, uh, how you go around decision making and, you know, we can close it off uh, in that discussion. So if we can jump right into it, what are the roles that you are actually usually hiring for? So usually we have, you know, UX, UI designers, we have, you know, pure UX designers, there's, you know, user UX researchers, product managers, you know, the list goes on and on. What mm -hmm. are the main roles uh, within your capacity, let's say maybe over the past year, three months, you've found a lot of demand for? So because we're a consultancy, we work with a lot of different clients and uh, we provide um, professional design services for a lot of different clients. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, we see a lot of different requests come in. For the most part, um, we do find that people want um, strong UX designers with a research background that can also do UI. Uh, some clients prefer to split those roles and they want dedicated people that do UX research, dedicated people for UI design. It really depends. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. When you go into the project space where you know we'll, be, we'll deliver a solution for a client or a whole app or a whole website or whatever it might be, um, in those cases, it's definitely more jack of all trades if I can put it that way mm -hmm. we, we prefer to then have a lead designer that can have you know an overview of everything that the project entails and then with um, additional designers joining them that can work on a bit of everything so mm -hmm. it really does depend um, I do think it's important that even if you choose to specialize in one of the areas that you are familiar with the others as well. Mm -hmm. So even if you want to be a um, UI designer and that's what you're strong in and you're good at, that's awesome. Um, but make sure that you understand what the UX research process and the UX design process entails because you will end up working very closely with those other designers. And it really helps to understand the processes that they're going through mm -hmm. when it gets to you. Awesome. So it really speaks to you know, designers being T-shaped. So, you know, focusing mm. on, you know, one main thing, if you would like to specialize, that is, but really being familiar with all the other processes and, you know, knowing how to speak the different languages in the in the other roles because you will be working closely with everybody. 
I think that's uh, that's something awesome. I always talk about it on this podcast, actually, and uh, some of the um, some of the content that we put out there. Uh, but I think you know, just to zoom in a little bit closer, I understand that you know, as a consultancy, there's many requests. But are there specific sort of like um, responsibilities um, that you see? A lot of organizations uh, or your organization internally um, sort of like demanding um, more than, you know, others. So when it comes to, you know, the different specializations or is it really a balanced um, feel across across the field? I'd say the main thing that no matter what design role you're in, um, those designers always need to be the advocate for the people you're designing for mm-hmm. um, because they're not inherent in this process. The clients, the customers, the users, I hate that word, but <laughs> those people, they're not actually involved in these conversations most of the time in terms of what's being built for them. So as a designer, it's it's your job to make sure that you go and talk to those people and find out, but are we creating the right things? Mm-hmm. Is this the way that you want to be using this? Um, and you need to make sure that the business listens to that. Now, that brings in a whole other conversation about the fact that design needs to be you know, implemented from the top. It, uh, as a designer, you can't be trying to convince the CEO that they, design is important. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, a big part of um, designers' roles is educating Uh, Mm -hmm. the people around you so whether it's you know your development team or your business analysts or your customer your uh, clients your product owner it's about educating them about you know where design fits into this process Mm -hmm. then also you know pushing the boundaries of what people think are possible it's very easy to um, fit into existing templates and you know use Mm -hmm. existing guidelines exactly as is but sometimes it's necessary to innovate a bit and to inspire people with the things that can be possible. You know, push push your devs a bit further so that they, um, you know, they actually have to go and research some things and they're like, wait, we've never tried this. Let's mm. see how we mm. can figure this out. It'll also help um, your process to stand out. And um, obviously don't, you know, make your devs miserable and make them work through the night for something that isn't that important. But yeah. if it's something that will add a lot of value to the uh, user experience of the product that you're creating or, you know, really create a differentiated interface, then see how you can find a way. Um, when We're not just there to, to execute what people think they want. Mm-hmm. It's our jobs to make sure that we're actually creating the thing that they really need. Mm-hmm. And that goes for business as well. So mm-hmm. we sometimes help them to define what the product really should be. Yeah, definitely. I think I think there's there's a lot more, like you said. You know, there's there's so many parts of UX um, that you know, if you really get into it, it's not really about you know moving the pixels around. Uh, it really mm-hmm. gets into actually problem solving. Uh, and impacting people's lives and real organization, you know, um, um, growth and 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 margins, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, this next question really speaks to probably some of um, the impact that you've seen as a you know consultancy and you know a hiring manager, somebody who's in that perspective to probably have. Um, an overview on a couple of projects that are running 
what are some of you know the main things i know we I'm just uh, digging in a little bit deeper here into that roles and responsibilities because I really want to stew into it uh, a little bit more. Uh, but what are some of the things that you've seen that really drive um, a lot of impact in some of the projects uh, and the organizations um, that you've worked with? And how do you see that demand and impact improving you know, markets um, over the next five to 10 years, if we can put it that way. I think more and more we're seeing that um, companies that are design driven and not just implementing it as an afterthought are becoming, you know, very big players um, just in the general digital world that we live in. Um, a lot of the companies, I won't name names, but if you think of like the, the big companies, um, the, the first names that pop to mind, they're the ones that really make an effort to understand what people want and need and have design influence mm -hmm. the very way that they um, uh, come up with new products. They make sure that they have that research in terms of what people actually want and not just throwing things at them that they think they might want. Mm -hmm. So design and that research aspect of um, really understanding your, um, your, your clients or your customers, it's becoming much more prominent and it's, helping to shape the way that products are conceptualized, um, not just an afterthought of, oh, we need to design the screen. Mm -hmm. So designers are becoming more and more involved in coming up with the ideas for companies to start with, never mind the products and the services that they offer. Mm -hmm. um, and it's all being very much driven from a, a human point of view. So that whole human-centered design idea the idea that you're actually designing for the people. You're not just creating something and hoping people will adopt it. Mm -hmm. um, that's just not feasible in this day and age. There are so many competitors for different companies that if you're not actually listening to what people want or giving them something that they really need, um, they're just going to go to your competitor. They don't care. Um, mm -hmm. Like Brand loyalty is, is becoming less and less of a thing. Because people want to feel unique, they want to feel special, they want to feel that this company is really catering to them, and that's all part of the experience. Mm -hmm. So over and above UX design, um, customer experience is becoming more and more prevalent, where more and more clients are realizing that, you know, if, if you're a bank, for instance, and you have user experience designers, that is your website and your app, and maybe to some degree, like your bank tap, your um, yeah, back, the the ATM. Mm. Um, but that's not the only experience people have of you. They go into the branches, they interact with the tellers, they will read pamphlets, they see TV ads. Um, you know, they, there are so many different ways that people can interact with um, a bank nowadays mm. that just focusing on your digital footprint, it's no longer enough. Um, you need to go above and beyond that and realize that even though, you know, it's completely different departments that deal with the call center or mm -hmm. the website um, or the app or, um, you know, the, the physical branches. But as a customer, I experience it as one company. Mm -hmm. So those different departments need to talk to each other. So the whole customer design, customer experience design aspect is becoming much, much more prevalent. And we're seeing a lot of demand for that, mm -hmm. which I'm really excited about because I think it's, it, it again just speaks to the fact that 
people want to look at how people experience their brand and their company mm-hmm. and not just the areas where they can make money mm-hmm. because an experience is so much more important um, than just the part where you, you've gotten the money from the client. Because if they're not happy afterwards, they're going to convince a whole lot of people to never give you money in the first place. <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah, I can I can definitely attest to to that situation um, <laughs> with you know banks. Um, I will not mention names, um, you know, <laughs> but I had a situation where you know the digital experience is pretty good and has been matured mm-hmm. enough, you know, as the main channel with, um, you know, the main drive around digital transformation in a lot of companies, right? Um, So you find those channels, you know, the digital channels nicely polished, but once you try and get into support and, you know, Mm -hmm. go a couple of layers down, uh, you can see how everything deteriorates. And like you're saying, you know, these are different branches and uh, parts or departments rather uh, in the company. And you Mm -hmm. as a customer, you're not interacting with sales or you know accounts or whatever it is you are really interacting with that brand um Mm. as as one company and and i think that's super experience and that's super important because it really speaks not only to you know um i think there's a big link between um, UX design and UI design and, you know, digital transformation and everything being solely Definitely. digital, but it's not really about everything being digital. You know, um, I think some people might have different words for it, like service design and, you know, customer experience, um, you know, CX, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But I think um, it's, it, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited that you're starting to see that demand in the market uh, that means, you know, there's some people who are trying to fix uh, those those issues that we're experiencing now. Awesome. Okay, cool. So let's let's talk a little bit about, you know, actually getting into the hiring process. So I think we've explored a little bit about, you know, a little bit of demand and what the market looks like for, for UX designers. Let's talk a little bit about portfolios and, you know, resumes, CVs um, as a hiring manager. So the first question I have for you is what actually attracts you to, you know, hire any talent? Is it, what is that thing that, you know, pulls you that, or that has pulled you to some of the best hires uh, that you've seen? So the very first thing that you see. So you're talking about specifically um, portfolios and CVs, right? Before I've ever interviewed them. Yeah, so what is the first thing? Is it the portfolios? Is it the CVs? Is it social media profiles? Is it, you know, um, Spotify playlist? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'll first, you know, take a glance through the CV mm-hmm. um, just to see, you know, how long have they been in um, design in general and UX design, um, what kind of companies they've worked at, um, you know, did they study design? Where did they study design? Did they do any certifications? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, then I'll scan through the portfolio um, and have a look at um, some details in there. You know, how is it structured? Um, what information are they giving me? Um, and, you know, what, what value can I get from that? Mm-hmm. Um, I will sometimes look people up on LinkedIn. Um, just if I maybe want some more detail on the, the companies that they've worked at or um, 
maybe if they've only listed like you know maybe some of the most recent um, companies have worked at it's always interesting to see when people have changed industries i mean mm-hmm. as i said i i started in advertising so while that gave me design knowledge and it gave me um as an art director i learned a lot about interacting with lots of different people in different departments um, but those didn't teach me UX skills, mm-hmm. but some of those skills were transferable. So it's always interesting to see if someone's changed industries, um, you know, how long did they work in the other industry? What kind of role were they in there? Um, so that's, yeah, it, it, it helps to give me an idea of, um, you know, the, the person's background. So mm-hmm. what I want to see is um, I want to see that this person's passionate about design, which is a difficult thing to convey in a, you know, <laughs> PDF for a website or whatever you choose to use. Yeah. Um, but in terms of portfolios, like um, I, I want to see something that's process driven. So I want to see the different steps that people have taken to address a project. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to see something start with this is the problem that we faced and then this is how we went about solving it. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, it, we we all love beautiful UI screens. It's it's nice to see UI screens, but you don't want to end things with you know things something being nice. Yeah. I'd ra- much rather something be interesting and have solid content than it being nice and pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, although, if you're applying for a UI design role, that yeah, ad- it- advice is a bit different. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, but it's it. I, I want to see how you thought. What was the rationale? Mm-hmm. Um, when in in my portfolio, I have one very thorough case study on a chatbot that we did, and I start with um, the rationale of why we made a chatbot in the first place. Why did we not just, you know, um, create an app or a website? And um, so I, I go into the rationale between why is this even in the format that it is. And mm-hmm. then from there on, you know, going through the research that we did, the um, problems that we faced, how we actually went about solving that, because um, it was quite a fascinating project, mm-hmm. um, for me yeah. at least. Um, and those are the kinds of things that I want to know. I want to know, what did you learn through this process? What assumptions did you have going into it? Which of those assumptions were proven wrong? I actually saw a really interesting um portfolio this morning um, where at the end of the project the guy listed um, what they thought the solution was going to be and what the issues were with the current system and then what they actually ended up with Mm. after doing research and you know going through this whole process and that to me just shows that this is not just a surface job of oh we're gonna you know change the dropbox to um Oh, Dropbox, the, the drop down, drop down, the, the drop down to radio buttons, and we've solved everything. Yeah, um, big UX change. Although, maybe, although, you know, maybe that is the only thing it needs, and then it's perfect. Yeah. You never know. Maybe. <laughs> but, um, but it it just showed that they they really thought about and even like their own role in the process because we as designers affect the process that we go through. I mean, every single person has different things that they're slightly better at or, you know, not as strong at. And depending on who the designer is that works on the project, the project will have a slightly different outcome. Mm 
Mm. It's not something that we necessarily want to acknowledge, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, each person lends a little something different to the project. And as long as you follow the main outcomes from the research that you've done, um, you've addressed the important things. And it's great to see a designer really acknowledge their role in the project. Mm. Also the fact that, you know, we don't work in isolation. So what did you change in the project after you chatted to the developers? Um, I've changed many things and many projects because the devs looked at me like I was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're like, we're not going to do that. It's not possible. Yeah. <laughs> I, I once I found a, um, was this really cool little animation for a, a menu slider um, that I found on Dribble, And I showed it to my devs. And they looked at the screen and they looked at me. And they looked at the screen and they looked at me. And they're like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, it's just, it's just a little like animation thing. And they're like, sure. But to actually make that, it's going to take us like a month of just focusing on that. And they started yeah. speaking in technical jargon. Yeah. Because that, that's the thing I think that uh, a lot of people like to say like, oh, but nothing's impossible. Yeah. That's true. Nothing is impossible. But you need to really weigh up, you know, is this cute little slidey animation exactly. thingy really worth making your devs work an extra month on this yeah. over time? They're going to hate you. And also the client's going to ask, like, what on earth were you thinking? Because Yeah, like, I need functionality, not micro interactions, right? Like, I don't exactly. need little animations around. I need this thing to send PDFs and stuff around. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's like, how about we get the actual functionality down? And yeah. then we can focus on, like, the polishing yeah. touches. Um, yeah. So, and I think it's it's great to acknowledge those things. Like uh, we're, we're uh. human. Like everyone makes mistakes. Like so, um, I find it fascinating. Like I always love when people present case studies at conferences um, about their own projects that they've worked on. And I especially love the parts where they go, like we did this and this and this. And we thought it was the best thing ever, and then it failed miserably. Yeah. Uh, because you learn so much more from something not working out. Um, and, you know, the, the assumptions that you made, and, you know, we thought like, oh, we don't have to test this because it's obvious. Mm. That's mm. usually when you have to test exactly. it the most. Like I always tell people, when you say those words, I'll be like, that's a red, <laughs> that's a red flag right there. We need to speak to some people right now. Yep. We're getting too comfortable. <laughs> Exactly, because that, that's exactly the point where you start making assumptions. And mm. we all know that's mm. where, you know, good designs go to die because we're not <laughs> the people we're designing for. Exactly, yeah. Um, and it's so important to remember that. So, yeah, like just bring some humanity into the way that you lay out your process and yeah. your portfolio. Yeah. Um, I, I want to see, like, what was the thinking at each step and like even show me a screen and then analyze it. Tell mm -hmm. me, you know, mm -hmm. we put this headline here because uh, we worked with the copywriter and uh, we tested this and this was the best name for the app, mm -hmm. whatever mm -hmm. it might be. Or this gradient of color that is used here um, is used for accessibility because we made sure that, um, you know, the, the gradients um, are acceptable according to, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the uh, design standards or mm. whatever it might be mm. tell me why specific decisions were made don't just tell me oh we made a pretty screen like okay but so what <laughs> like anyone can make a pretty screen okay yeah. not anyone but 
it's you can it, you download know. a pretty screen if you can make exactly. one. exactly like you, you can show me a template that's really pretty but it's useless without actually knowing why what it does were made. yes mm. so so i think i think to really capture that thing is to really you know go into the details and the process to really mm. see what um the the train of thought is how that person comes from idea struggles with you know certain things and how do they solve those things you really want to see that um i've mm-hmm. seen a lot of portfolios um in my own you know um not so much hiring manager role but sort of like looking for freelance designers mm-hmm. um i've seen a lot of portfolios that were made from templates and they have specific segments you know and and one thing that that um that really you know, um, that I don't see a lot of value in that a lot of people put into their portfolios is these pictures with a lot of sticky notes and them, you know, like in, 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 in a room and things like that. I think it's cool to show that you're part of the process, but I haven't really found the value. Like you were saying, like you want to see a screen and you would tell us why you, you know, had that title there, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what are some of the things that you've seen designers do in their portfolios that you would recommend doing that you think maybe it's it's not necessarily, you know, something that they should be focusing on uh, now that we've really spoke about what they should be doing? <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, I'll, I will say that uh, photo that you're talking about, I have exactly that photo in my portfolio. Um, <laughs> I don't see a problem with it. Um, So I have a page where I talk about like different methodologies and things that I'm comfortable with. Mm -hmm. So one of those is, you know, workshop facilitation. Um, And then just having a small photo um, on the side of it. And then, you know, talking about prototyping, Mm -hmm. showing a zoomed Mm -hmm. out photo of, you know, a spider's nest or spider's web. What am I talking about? Spider's web of, um, you know, a prototype with like 90 screens and everything interlocking. Mm. It's, I think we tend to be, designers are visual people. And I'm not saying visual as in, you know, flashy graphics necessarily. Even UX design, even UX research has um, outputs that are visual, whether mm-hmm. it's a journey map or you know uh, heuristic analyses, all of these things have mm-hmm. visual mm-hmm. outputs and that are recognizable even if you, you zoom out. Yes. So to me, the, um, I actually like those photos because it just shows you know this person does have an idea of what they're talking about. They have been involved in the process. You don't can show see me them many in of action. Those photos. <laughs> Yes. Like, don't show me too many of those photos. I'm not interested in seeing a photo album, but yeah. you know, just a little hint of like, hey, I've been involved in this. Um, I, I find it quite interesting, but it can be a subjective thing as well. So, I don't know. In, in portfolios themselves, they, the, the one thing that I really just frustrates me that I think we have spoken about now is just just having pictures in there. Mm-hmm. No explanation of what the project was, no explanation of what you did, no mm-hmm. explanation of how you got to the solution, mm-hmm. just pretty pictures. And it also, like, I'm, I don't know, but did you, is this a template you got somewhere? Like, I'm hoping you're not putting templates in your um, portfolio, but without any rationale or explanation of what this project is, 
um, that doesn't really help me. So mm, in yeah. the same way, I would say that putting links to live versions of your project, um, not helpful. So mm -hmm. if you link me to a live website, it's like, okay, that's nice, but that's the same as just showing me the thing. You're asking me to do the work to go and investigate the work that you've Figure done. Figure out what you've done. And yes. looking at the live website, I don't know what you're involved in actually, right? Exactly. Yeah. I don't know how much the developer did, um, how much you did, yeah. how much the developer maybe adapted your designs. So for me, that's the only thing I can think of right now um, in terms of a portfolio. I have many gripes with resumes though. Okay, okay. We can jump into that. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, so for the resume, putting skills like um, Word or Excel always really concerns me um, because at, if, if you call yourself a UX or a UI designer, I'm expecting that, you know, you need to know at least some sort of visual editor, you know, like Illustrator or InDesign or Figma or Sketch or whatever your preference is. Mm. You need to know at least one of those um, because the, the skills are relatively transferable. Like if you are familiar with Sketch and the project we're doing is in Figma, mm. you won't be penalized mm. for that because I'm trusting that you can pick it up relatively quickly. Yeah, but if you feel the need to list Word and Excel, that tells me that you think those are really important things to have mastered, uh, which makes me wonder whether you can use Sketch or Figma if you think that Word is hard. Um, <laughs> yeah. may maybe it's just a me thing, but I, what, yeah, I find what that about, very strange. What about typing skills? Because I'm pretty proud of my, of my typing speed. I do like, you know, close to 100 hundred, you know, 10, 15 words per minute. Would that be something yeah, that's you really see? cool. Like, <laughs> I, I love reading, like, random weird facts about people on their CV. Like, one of the questions that I ask people in interviews is, you know, if someone had to write a Wikipedia article about you, what would be your claim to fame? Mm. And I'm, I'm not asking to find out, you know, are you a hard worker or things like that. I want to know something really random and interesting about you. So that, for instance, would be perfect um, because that's a really interesting thing about you. Mm, and I mean, we, we, we're looking for people. We don't just hire people for their skills. We are hiring the person as a whole. So I want to know a bit about you know, your personality when we're chatting to people. And that already starts to shine through in your CV if you put something like that on there. Mm. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I have my claim to fame on my CV, I could say that. So for me, it's I, I climbed uh, Mount Kilimanjaro in 2017. So my claim to fame is that for about 10 seconds on the 13th of January at, I think, half past six in the morning, I was the highest person in Africa, and I mean that in altitude, uh, because... My brother picked me up so that I could be the tallest person on oh, okay. in So I was the, the, the highest person in altitude in Africa. So just like an arbitrary thing, but I'm really proud of that. So yeah, yeah. I think that it just tells you a bit about the person's personality um, mm. over and above just including, you know, like, because it's, it's, it's interesting to read people's hobbies, you know, like photography or um, knitting or, you know, uh, rollerblading, whatever it might be. 
just their random little interesting facts. And again, this is me. Like I'm sure other hiring managers would feel differently. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm I'm a relatively informal person, and our company is also pretty informal. So that's the kind of stuff above and beyond your actual, you know, ability to do the job that interests mm-hmm. me and that tells me like your. And even if if your interest is, you know, um, and your claim to fame is like you. I can't even think of examples now, but maybe you've um, completed like uh, Mario Odyssey on the Nintendo. Uh, you completed that in 10 hours. Um, that's really cool. Like it doesn't matter what your uh, hobby or your skill yeah. or something yeah. is. If your favorite thing is to watch series, you can tell me, you know, you binge watched <laughs> three series in like a weekend. That's cool. Like it doesn't have to be extreme or weird. Like it's just, yeah, yeah. It's just it's a just little bit something about bringing the out the personality. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, that's... And then another thing. Um, so I posted this on LinkedIn recently, actually. Like people need to stop putting their age, race, driver's license, mm, health, mm, criminal record, mm. gender, and then marital status on their CVs. Mm. Um, the only thing that those things allow for is discrimination quite frankly Mm. because no hiring manager should actually be concerned about those things at all um it 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 really just shouldn't matter um if someone thinks of you differently because you are married or not or your sexual orientation or anything like that Mm. um you're just opening yourself up for potential discrimination mm. so rather just leave it off um, I know it was a standard that I was also taught when I was in school still but mm. it, it definitely yeah. isn't the case anymore and most of those things are actually illegal to ask um, thing like a criminal record will come into play depending on the company uh, obviously so mm-hmm. our company we do MIE criminal and um, what's the other thing um we, we do checks um, before we hire someone. Criminal just because and credit type of Credits, yeah. that's the one. Yeah. yeah, so we do those checks. Um, HR does them before we hire someone and the person goes for fingerprints, whatever. They're, they're very aware this is happening. Mm. And it's because um, pretty much all of our clients require it because mm. they're big corporate companies. But so that's like they... pretty much deep into the hiring process, right? It's not like the yes. information you're sending, you know, as the first interaction. Yeah, so it, 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 I always find it very weird when someone sends me a CV and the first thing is on there is like criminal record none. And I think to myself, like, do you think this is an achievement? Like that. I it's don't like know. Word or Excel. Yeah. It's like, I, I'm not quite sure why you want to make it that obvious that you don't have a criminal record. Like, mm. good mm. for you, but I, I, I don't know. I, I find it odd. Um, so leave those things off, the, the, then you can have more space for things that actually matter. Mm. Um, speaking of things that matter and don't matter, there's a trend amongst designers to put either different programs or different skills you have and then rate them. Mm. Say, you know, mm. I have four out of five for Photoshop and mm. three out of five for uh, Sketch. Please stop doing that. Um, but uh, those are uh, progress bar looking type of things. Yes, exactly <laughs> that. Um, 85%. Admit, I, 
I, I'll admit I did it when I was younger as well. I also mm-hmm. fell into that trap. I have then, as well. <laughs> and then someone explained to me one day just that we as designers, we aren't our tools. Hmm. Um, you should be able to transfer the knowledge that you have from one program to another. So mm-hmm. if you're placing that much emphasis on the programs that you know, it cons- it, it actually has the adverse effect. It's like saying, yay, I have 10 out of 10 for sketch. It makes me think like, okay, you can, you can do sketch very well. Great. But what is your design methodology? Like, yeah. What if we need to move to a different tool? And especially with, as I said, with us being in consulting, uh, people tend to need to move between different programs as they, you know, change clients. Mm -hmm. We've never had anyone have an issue with it. Um, but so don't place that much emphasis on your tools. Um, you should be pretty tool agnostic. It's in the same way that developers don't list, you know, the IDE that they use um, mm-hmm. because it's irrelevant. They should be able to use whatever. The important part is the coding. Yeah. And with us, the important part is the way that you're thinking or the way that you're, you know, um, creating experiences. It's the process. So that, Exactly. The process is the important part. Mm-hmm. And also don't rate yourselves on that. Um, I mean, I know that I have certain skills that I'm stronger at than others. Mm-hmm. I'm a much better researcher and UX designer than I am a UI designer. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean I can't do UI design. It just takes me a little bit longer to maybe get to as beautiful an end product mm-hmm. as someone who is very naturally gifted at that. And, and But... And what's the baseline, mm. right? Like, exactly. um, you know, like what's the one to five or one to 10 based on, you know, like who, who are you basing it? Is is there an industry standard that says if you're <laughs> one, you are, you know, like this good. It's, 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 it's super funny when you like have done it before and then you realize, oh, flip, like I can't actually explain <laughs> what I'm doing. <laughs> exactly. Like compared to what? And then you also have, the, the, the thing where you get, um, you realize that, okay, I was very good at Photoshop five years ago, but I haven't used Photoshop in a while. Where do I rate myself now? So mm-hmm. all these strange things come up. So, you know, definitely list the skills that you have, but it's not, I wouldn't really say it's important to rank them. Um, just, uh, I, I don't know, the, the rankings just always feel very weird because, as you said as well, there's no objective scale that you can rate these things against. Mm-hmm. Uh, one person, people might also be very hard on themselves. It might be an incredible, you know, uh, illustrator, but they don't think they're that good, so they just rate themselves two out of five. Mm-hmm. So you're actually mm-hmm. doing yourself a disservice. Um, so for that reason, I'd say, you know, let your put spot portfolio speak for you um your portfolio can tell all these things that um someone can then uh, evaluate for themselves where they think you are on that that's super interesting it's 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 pretty interesting some of the things that you've unpacked you know around portfolios and and um, the cvs um, I think the biggest thing that stood out for me, um, especially around the portfolios that I've seen a lot of people doing is, you know, the live link. Uh, you know, a lot of people will be like, oh, check out the final thing and, you know, just jump into that. So, yeah, I think I think these are very, you know, um, important things um, to 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 note. 
Um, do you want to add a little bit more on the on the CV since you since you said you've got so much gripes on it? Um, <laughs> I can tell like you've got a list of a lot of bullet points there. <laughs> um, those, those are the main ones I wanted to chat about. Awesome. Um, someone actually. Uh, so when I posted that thing on LinkedIn, someone asked the question, um, you know, whether people should be adding photos to their CVs or not. And mm. I find mm. that an interesting conversation, actually. Um, for me, I enjoy photos, just, you know, a glimpse at the person. Like, oh, okay. And sometimes the photo will tell you a bit about the person. Sometimes, you know, someone might use a photo where they are hiking or whatever it might be. Mm. Mm. Um, or they'll, you know, have something that looks very professionally shot in the studio. And it, it, how someone chooses to represent themselves gives you a little bit of an idea of this person. Mm. I mean, my hair is um, usually different colors, like gray or pink or purple or blue yeah. or sometimes all at once. So <laughs> for me, I actually like putting my photo on my resume because... That way people immediately know, like, I am I can be a little bit out there. Yeah. And if that to them is off-putting, it immediately tells me that I'm not a good fit for that um, mm. company or that mm. role or mm. whatever it might be. Luckily, I've never had that issue, but it might be an issue in some areas. So someone made the point that photos also potentially allow for discrimination mm -hmm. because things like your age, your gender, your race, things like that Hair become style. apparent. Yes. Um, and there is that risk, yes. Um, but the same can be argued about a name. Mm. Um, you know, I, I recently had an interview with someone and I couldn't pronounce his name because it's a Corsa name. Mm -hmm. And I felt really embarrassed and really bad Um that I couldn't pronounce this guy's name. I've since practiced, and I think I have it right now. Um, but, you know, someone can judge you based on your name mm. alone. So mm. I know there's been, you know, lots of conversations in Europe and in the States about, you know, potentially even submitting CVs without names. So to remove that bias, but... I don't know where you draw that line. Yeah, I think it's, it's like it's like an anonymous CV. Yeah, and I guess in some cases that could potentially work, but you know, not not so much in South Africa. That's not really possible here. Yeah, yeah, especially if you're gonna go do like you know criminal checks and credit checks. You know, <laughs> we gotta know your name at some point. No, definitely. Um, I think it's it's um, it'll be interesting to see what the the whole recruitment side of things move to eventually because mm -hmm. we we've had we have clients that you know we'll they'll put out a job posting and a few different vendors will um, submit uh, profiles and so they've now gotten to the point where they don't want the vendors to put um, their names on it they just want to look at the candidates independently and evaluate them based on their own merits as opposed to, you know, potentially being prejudiced by which company submitted it, mm. which I think is already an interesting step towards that. Um, it becomes very interesting when multiple companies submit the same person then, actually. Mm. We've run into that before. Oh, um, yeah. interesting. Yeah, you know, it, it, it might be someone that we haven't hired yet, so they are chatting oh, to Oh, they're different companies. chatting to, yeah. 
years. So that that's been an interesting experience. And then it's uh, whoever submits it first. Mm-hmm. But you know, they they only find out afterwards kind of who submitted this person. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So how do you actually get to a hiring decision? So I guess you looking at a lot of portfolios, hiring for a lot of people, um, for a lot of different companies since you're a consultancy. How do you get to the decision? What are those things that, you know, get you to the decision? Um, maybe, you know, starting with digging in deeper into the portfolio, whatever it is, and, you know, um, going through, not necessarily go through the details of the hiring process, but, you know, mm-hmm. some of the things that help you make the decision on a designer. So there are sort of two scenarios in which I hire people. The first is if we have a specific client in mind that um, you know is looking for people, so they might have specific requirements. So they might be looking for someone that has a lot of native mobile iOS and Android design. Um, they might have a requirement that this person needs to you know be very familiar with designing uh, or creating design systems. Mm-hmm. So then we have a specific kind of person in mind and then we'll be looking for those specific skills. So that's the one side of it. Um, if we know we have a specific uh, requirement and client request that we need to fill. And on the other side, if I just find someone who I think is a really amazing candidate, then we'll hire them without a client and then make sure that, uh, you know, we, we find them something. And the thing that makes people really stand out for me is when they're really passionate about design, when they're really inquisitive, mm-hmm. they want to look at not just solving the problem that they're given, they want to actually go and find out whether we're solving the right problem in the first place. Um, so that's something that I really enjoy. And so that's part of the part of my research, actually, mm. um, for my mm. PhD, is I'm looking at how we structure design problems. And that's an area that's really interesting to me because the way that we define the problem will determine what kinds of solutions we get to at the end. Mm-hmm. So if you don't define the problem correctly up front, you're going to run into issues where you have this perfectly designed, beautiful solution, but it's not addressing anything that anyone wanted. So when hiring people, I look for those people that are inquisitive, that want to know more, that want to learn more. Um, people that are constantly looking for ways that they can, you know, whether it's IDF courses or um, certifications that they're doing, or even just doing research on their own and writing blog articles about it, whatever it might be. Hmm. But people that are really passionate about learning, because our industry changes so much so regularly. Yeah. Um, if you're not constantly making a concerted effort to actually continue learning and being on top of what's and happening, improve. you're and improve. Yes, you're 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 going to get left behind very quickly. Um, and it it's not necessarily that you're not a good designer. Mm. It might simply be that you haven't kept up to date in. You know, clients might all start asking, oh, we want, you know, heuristic analyses for this thing before we get started. And you're going to look at them and say, like, what's that? Mm -hmm. So you you need to know what's happening in the industry all the time, which is why I find conferences also so uh, important to attend, um, that you can hear what people are talking about, what people are working on, 
and the conversations that you have with people. Obviously, it's a it's a bit harder now that everything's online. You can't just uh, go and meet random people during the coffee breaks. Um, that that used to be one of my favorite parts of attending conferences, and hopefully yeah. we'll get to that sometime soon again. Um, but yeah, just that that passion about knowing more and learning more and um, constantly wanting to further yourself. Mm. That's something that really makes people stand out to me. Like during interviews, I like to treat them very much like conversations. So I'll tell people anecdotes from my life and, you know, they'll, they'll tell me things about theirs and it, it's a conversation that we're having. Mm-hmm. And yes, there are specific questions that I ask um, to keep the conversation flowing very much the same as you and I are doing here. Mm-hmm. But when I'm talking to someone in an interview, if I ask them a question, I don't just want them to say yes or no. Yeah. Because that's, it immediately concerns me when someone can't carry a conversation because as designers, we're creating experiences that need to have a flow and need to have a rhythm. And I'm totally aware that not everyone is, you know, very eloquent or people might be nervous. And when I get really nervous, I start stuttering, which is incredibly weird because I don't stutter. I sweat, like my palms (laughs) literally start sweating. (laughs) No, so I, I won't judge people if they're, you know, nervous um, or anything like that. Uh, that doesn't bother me. But mm-hmm. when I ask a question and they can't elaborate or they not don't seem interested in mm-hmm. elaborating further, that becomes really concerning because that also tells me um, that that is how they're probably going to react when they're in an interview with a client. Mm-hmm. Because, again, because mm-hmm. we're a consultancy, the clients want to hire people – uh, not hire – they want to interview the people that we pr- um, present to them as well because mm-hmm. they want to make sure that it'll be a good culture fit for them and the rest of their team. So we need to make sure that people can actually, you know, hold a conversation that they're not just good at design but also interested in design. Mm-hmm. You can pick mm-hmm. up very quickly in a conversation whether someone is just telling you all the keywords that they think you want to hear, you mm-hmm. know, design process this and uh, – wireframes this and prototyping know, that what. and yeah. yes and you you can sort Usability of testing the, mm-hmm. you can sort of see the wheels in their head turning and they're just like oh what are all the like words <laughs> buzzwords that i can say yeah which is not always a bad thing like it, it it's not bad to like throw those things in there as well but i want to hear that you're you're actually interested in design mm-hmm. and and the context a, as well right around exactly. what you're talking about yeah, exactly. And you're, you're actually passionate about finding out more about those things and mm. uh, doing something in your spare time to, you know, further your knowledge of it. Mm. Not saying that you necessarily need to have like, you know, a side company or a side whatever mm. Um, mm. that is focusing on um, doing extra designs because not everyone wants to do design in their free time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you can express your creativity through gardening or through uh, crocheting or, you know, I don't know, finding new ways of beating like Legend of Zelda. I don't know. Yeah. Um, like, I, 
I have four daughters and mm. like I literally don't have, you know, extra time. <laughs> so they consume all of my time. So we are baking, we're, you know, doing a little mm. bit of gardening and oh, things nice. like that. So, yeah, and, and, and I'm really passionate about, you know, um, educating my children as well. You know, it's something mm. that is not necessarily part of my job, but it's, you know, things that I'm really passionate about. So, yeah, I usually try and bring that up in conversations in general. <laughs> No, but that's great because it also gives a sense of who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you're, you're, you're very passionate about your family, which is a good thing. I think in this day and age, so many people are afraid to mention that they have families or mm-hmm. things like that because they, they're worried that people might think, oh, I don't work as hard. But what it actually comes down to is if people are concerned that you have a family because then you might not work as much overtime, you should rethink whether you want to join that company. Exactly, first yeah. You should really consider if you want to work overtime. <laughs> yeah, no, no company should be expecting you to work overtime constantly. Yeah. I mean, we all know like projects sometimes go haywire and yeah, you need to work a little days. bit of overtime now and then. But if that's the norm and that's constantly expected, like that, that shouldn't be the norm. Yeah. Um, people should definitely. Yeah, no, definitely. So if, if people think having a family or having a life outside of work is um, puts them off you, then it's probably not a place that you want to be working at in the first place. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Super interesting points there. Um, so let's get into what are some of the things that you've seen, uh, maybe some of the hiring managers that, you know, you work with or just in the market in your own interviews, um, as well as some of the things that candidates really do um, within the interview process and the decision-making process? Because I understand it's usually not just one interview that people go through, right? Um, there's, you know, a couple of um, processes, maybe the first interview, second one, et cetera, et cetera. I've seen some crazy stuff like, you know, giving people, um, what do you call those things, assignments, <laughs> Uh, mm. and, you know, do this thing for us so that we see if you're, you know, fit for the job. What's, what are some of the things that you think, you know, companies and candidates you just avoid to get into within the hiring, you know, decision-making process? Yeah. So something that would be a massive red flag to me is if a company wanted me to do some sort of assignment related to a client they already have, um, because that just screams free work to me. Mm. Um, and it already tells me to question that company's integrity. Um, and maybe there are exceptions, but f- yeah, I, that, that really concerns me. Um, we're all busy people. We, designers are n- notoriously bad at um, you know, actually fighting for what we deserve and being paid what we deserve. Mm. And people asking for free labor is very concerning. Um, we do, uh, when we start our graduate program, um, we do ask the, the candidates that be shortlist to do a assignment for us, mm-hmm. but it's for a made up um, little project or a thing. Um, and it, we will usually just ask them to design like, four or five screens um, and then maybe two of those in UI just to get an idea of, you know, how they present a solution. Mm. Because very often um, 
we also have a lot of applications from people that are changing industries. So they might not have a UX portfolio. Yeah. So I, I like the person and I like the way that they're talking about things. They're passionate. They want to learn, but they don't really have something to show me. And it, it's hard to work on UX um, like projects and assignments on your own. Mm. So we will then ask them to do an assignment, but it's something that shouldn't take you more than like a few hours. Um mm. Hmm. If people are expecting, you know, a fully functional app with, I don't know what, like, uh, gauge the time and effort that you would be putting into an assignment and I guess then decide is 20 hours of work, 20 hours of free work really worth this opportunity that I might get at the end of it. Hmm. Um, hmm. So that's something to be aware of. Um, let me think. Um Things that also, I I guess it, it always frustrates me when people ask for your previous payslip. Um, I know that's a pretty standard thing, but um, I like to focus on how much someone would like to earn as opposed to how much they are earning. Because hmm. again, as I said, designers are notoriously underpaid. Um, we have pay scales within DBT that I uh, help to set up and that are industry related. So whenever someone comes and um, I interview them and I ask them, you know, what salary would they like to be earning? I always go and check, you know, does it actually relate to the level that they're at? Mm. I've had seniors come to me with salaries that are like 15,000 rand less than they should be earning as a minimum as a senior. Mm. So then we'll put mm. their starting salary at our minimum for a senior, which mm. is a lot higher than they asked for, but that's what they deserve. Mm. So, mm. It's not necessarily always for nefarious reasons that people ask for pay slips, but it does have the potential that someone might pay you a really bad salary just because you were really underpaid at your previous yeah. job. Yeah, they literally and you just have the put right a to decline. Percentage on top. Yeah, and yeah. you you have the right to decline and just tell them that you know, sorry, unfortunately, um, you're not at liberty to share your pay slip. Hmm. And if they then don't want to continue that immediately tells me that they wanted to base your current or your new salary on that. Yeah. And, and again, I, I'm sure there are exceptions. Um, I'm just making a gross generalization here, but that would worry me. Mm. Um, yeah, that's, that's the main things that I can think of right now. Um, anything that you can think of? <laughs> no, I think, I think the, the pay slip one is, is, is super interesting because I've seen that in a lot of um, scenarios and I've always seen it as a limiting factor because, you know, what you're doing in, in one company, let's say you've been there for about three years and you're sort of like getting the, the baseline increase on your salary, you know, sort of like the inflation rate increase on your salary and not really getting like a proper mm. increase. The stuff that you learn over that time you are in that company, you improve so much, you know, you become, if you got in that company as a junior UX designer, you're not going to come out as a, you know, junior out of there, you know, let's say you spend three or four mm. years in a company and your salary might not speak to that. And, you know, sort of like basing that, um, um, you know, your next salary on what you're earning there. I've always seen it as something that is super restricting and super limiting. And I have struggled with it myself moving from job to job, um, you know, and 
and like you're saying, you know, like I don't think a lot of people know that they're the liberty of, you know, declining to 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 you know present the their their payslip. Um, mm-hmm. I think people usually see it as, you know, the documentation that's required, like, you know, your ID or your certificates or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's super interesting that, you know, um, it's something that, you know, as 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 you as a hiring manager and as DVT don't really look into uh, and you actually try and help people get to the income and salaries that are market related uh, even if they are asking for something um, less, but I can't really think of anything that I want to add um, within the the hiring um, sort of like a decision uh, process um, making thing. Um, other than the things that you spoke to, I just wanted to emphasize on the on the payslip one because I think it has definitely yeah. affected me uh, in my life um, as well. Mm. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been grossly underpaid at um, some previous uh, jobs. Mm-hmm. So now that I'm in a position where I can actually, you know, help to determine what people's salaries will be, I want to make sure that I never place someone else in that kind of position um, where they feel undervalued because their company is underpaying them mm-hmm. or taking advantage of them and making a massive margin on them and then spending it frivolously um, on, you know, whatever it might be. And this person's actually not being able to survive on the salary that they're getting. Mm-hmm. Um, I never want people to feel like that. So I feel that I have, you know, I'm, I'm in a, I'm lucky that I'm in the position where I am, where I can actually help to fight for people to get what they deserve um, in a good way in mm. terms of, you know, the salary that they get and making sure that there are clients that will appreciate the skills that they have. And I try to really work towards that because I've been on the other side. I've seen how bad it can be. Mm. And I don't mm. want other people to ever experience that. Yeah, it's um, it's it's crazy once you sort of like, you know, cross over to the other side and you actually see, you know, some of the things that uh, companies are not super transparent about. Uh, especially when it comes to salaries, I think I think it's actually a very interesting conversation um, to unpack. Uh, maybe another time, but yeah, um, mm. it's it's it's. Um, I think it's something that I've also been asked a lot uh, with some of um, um, the UX designers that follow some of the content uh, that um, that we make at, at um, over at Do Better UX. Um, and it's really, you know, around how much should I expect um, to be getting, you know, in, in UX design, et cetera, et cetera. Because what they see as benchmarks and market related and what, you know, is actually being offered, there's, you know, quite a big difference uh, there. But yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's a conversation that we can, you know, unpack uh, maybe off the podcast or some other time uh, sure. on a different podcast. Um, all right, cool. So I see that um, we've went way uh, past, you know, the time that I was hoping that this podcast would be, but I, I can definitely have this conversation forever. It's super interesting <laughs> to get all these insights, you know, from you. Um, maybe the last question before we close off is, you know, just to close off, what are, you know, the three things that you would advise designers that are looking for, you know, uh, to get into um, the hiring space or getting hired space rather, what are some of the three things that you would point out to say, you know, if you do this thing, you know, it will definitely help you stand out. Some of the things that 
you might be attracted to when you're you know looking into the market browsing linkedin or whatever it is what are those main three things that um that will help designers stand out i'd say um show that you've been making a concerted effort to learn things on your own um whether that is doing courses through idf writing blogs about things that you've learned um posting the things that you've worked on on Dribbble, uh, whatever it is, show that you're active in the design community, um, attend meetups uh, and conferences. Those things definitely show that you're, you're passionate about um, the field that we're in. Then also your portfolio, uh, without a doubt. Um, I've had lots of conversations with people recently about, you know, should portfolios play such a big role um, because it is a massive um, undertaking to update your portfolio and mm-hmm. a lot of time and effort goes into it. And while things like whiteboard challenges can definitely be valuable, for me, especially in the consulting space, we need to put forward those portfolios onto our clients. Mm-hmm. And even if you did an amazing whiteboard challenge with me, my client is not going to watch a 30-minute video of Mm -hmm. the amazing things that Mm -hmm. you've done. So you need to have a solid process-driven portfolio that stands on its own, that speaks for itself, because most of the time you won't be there to defend it or explain it. Mm -hmm. So make sure all of those um, rationals and all of that thinking is um, visible in that portfolio. And I'd say network, actually, um, while this might not be something that is, uh, you know, a, such a tangible thing, but reach out to the people that you admire and that you would like to chat to. If you see a, um, a speaker at a conference, um, message them or, you know, if it's physically possible, go up to them and talk to them. I can promise you they, they love it. Uh, like, um, And I'm speaking as someone who likes to talk at conferences and things. Mm-hmm. I love it when people come up to me and like start conversations about design. Um, I do this because I, I love the field and I love talking to people about it. So reach out to people on LinkedIn. Um, you take a chance. Like The worst that can happen is they say no or they don't respond. Yeah. Um, I've reached out to like some designers in the UK and the US and they actually responded and gave me some advice on things. I was floored, mm-hmm. but um, it's it, it's incredible to realize that you know these people that you look up to, they're also just human, and they're also just really in- interested in the field. So reach out to people, network, and then you they they might actually find a a, a role that they think is perfect for you and forward it on to you. You mm-hmm. never know, or you'll see their post on LinkedIn that their company is looking for new people. And that way you have a bit of an in because you've chatted to them before. You can tell them, hey, look out for my CV. I've submitted it. You never know. Um, But yeah, build those connections, chat to people, get to know them. And that way you'll always also learn more about the industry and Mm -hmm. what people are looking for at any given time. Awesome. That's um, super interesting. Um, so that's networking, really having a great portfolio, um, you know, that because you won't be able to defend it most of the time that you're in there, uh, where your portfolio is, <laughs> you won't be there. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think, I think um, thank you so much for the time, Liz, and, you know, for so much of the great insights and 
I would almost say the inside look, <laughs> you know, over the <laughs> other side uh, as a hiring manager. I think most of the questions that we went through in this podcast will help a lot of people who are really, you know, um, trying to navigate their design careers and getting into UX design, uh, as well as some of the people who are trying to change um, industries, like you're saying, you know, and get into this field as well. I think it will give um, a good perspective as to, you know, how to navigate some of the things. These are a lot of, you know, the common questions that, you know, I get asked maybe about 20, 30 times a week, uh, you know, as people come mm. through our podcast and, you know, some of the um, content that we put out there. So thank you so much of the t- for the time, Liz, and I appreciate you um, giving us all those insights on the podcast thanks so much for having me it's been lovely chatting and that brings us to the end of this week's podcast episode of not a ux designer thank you so much for listening to this episode if you enjoyed this episode and found a lot of insights i understand that it was super long and if you've made it all this way Thank you so much for listening. And uh, if you really enjoyed it, please do consider subscribing to the podcast wherever you're listening to it from so that, you know, you don't miss out on any of the new episodes that we have coming up. As I have mentioned earlier on, we have some really exciting guests uh, that we will be featuring on the podcast. So you would want to stay tuned for that. Feel free to share this with someone um, or a community that you are in if you feel that they might benefit or enjoy this episode if you're interested in more content like this join our community uh, check out our website dobetterux.com for live online events more content like this and courses in ux design and product design until the next one i'm your host Farma henry